This is Geek Gab with your house, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Sunday, July 16th, 2017. And uh, I'm pretty sure this is episode 107. We are going to be talking today about the Planet of the Apes prequel trilogy, including the just-released War for the Planet of the Apes. But before we do... Uh, and by the way, folks, I've seen all three of those movies this week, and I have notes, actual physical handwritten notes, so I am ready. I am prepared. I have honed my thinking on this issue to a razor-sharp edge. I am prepared to discuss these three movies, and hopefully we'll do it in a compact time limit so we can get everything we need to in under the wire. But before we do, let's uh, allow my fellow hosts to say hi. Hey, everybody. Good to be back. I also saw the movie in, in a break from tradition, so I, I'm looking forward to, to hearing Warpig's thoughts and, and sharing my own. Uh, how's it going, Brian? Good. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, too, for the opposite reason, because I haven't seen any of the three most recent Apes movies, so this will be educational for me. We aim to educate. And please. All right, we have notes. At least Eddie Warpig does. I mean, that's the kind of professionalism that you just don't get on a lot of other podcasts out there. <laughs> what about people show up and just, just talk, just off the cuff? So we, we do show prep. Um, hey, we, we used to not do show prep. Were those shows better or worse? Uh, informal poll of the, uh, the audience. Send us an email. <laughs> yeah. I had this week um, the theater that is close to my house, that is most convenient to where I live, had a uh, marathon, a marathon of all three movies. And so I went and so from about 4.30 p.m. to about midnight, plus or minus a little bit, I sat down and watched all three movies, one after the other. And it was educational. What I discovered most was that there was not a large market for a marathon of these three Planet of the Apes movies. There were only 10 other people who showed up to watch the three movies back to back. So... Well, that reminds me. I did the same thing when uh, Anchorman 2 came out. They showed Anchorman immediately before that. And there was maybe 10 people in the audience for the first film. I, I hear tell, though, that like... Um, that marathons of the Marvel movies, marathons of the Harry Potter movies and of Star Wars, that they all sold out, that like people just jam-packed the theaters. So it doesn't surprise me that not a lot of people showed up for Anchorman because that's kind of a cult movie. Yeah, it's. I guess I would say the same thing about Planet of the Apes. It definitely doesn't have the same sort of uh, pop culture influences the Star Wars is. Um, oh, and, and the other thing I did, the day before I went and saw these three movies back to back, I also watched the original Planet of the Apes. 
with Charlton Heston, um, which is actually really interesting because you find out that the first movie, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, sticks in a bunch, and I mean a bunch, of pointless shout-outs to the original that are just there. I don't even, you can't even say it's nostalgia at this point because the first movie came out in 1969. So unless you have either seen it really recently or have a really good memory for when the last time you saw it is, you're not going to catch most of these illusions. I, I just, I don't know if the writers are trying to be clever. It just seems to have been repeating stuff for the sake of repeating stuff because the two movies aren't even parallel. I mean, the 2001 disaster of a movie with Mark Wahlberg um, and Tim Burton's cast of usuals, um, it, it at least was trying to remake Planet of the Apes, the Heston Planet of the Apes, whereas these three movies are at best a very loose adaptation of the last Planet of the Apes movie, uh, which took place in, quote-unquote, you know, the near future. So they have nothing to do with the original Planet of the Apes in plot or anything. And you wonder why they decided, nevertheless, to steal so many lines and stuff and put it in this movie when it's not going to tweak people's nostalgia and it doesn't actually do anything. It, it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of pointless. Yeah, it feels. I mean, who are the are there are there more than five people in the United States who have this sort of fondness for the Planet of the Apes series? I mean, it, it doesn't have the same cultural impact as the Star Wars. Uh, I mean, and, and if you consider that there's a good fraction of the Star Wars nostalgia and culture that's been manufactured, um, I don't know what I don't know how they expected to be able to manufacture an entire cultural love for sort of a really campy. Uh, cheesy sci-fi movie from the late 60s. I, uh, oh, I, I took a bunch of notes on that. Um, he gets in a damn dirty apes line. They show, oh. scene, <laughs> they show scenes from um, a couple of other Charlton Heston movies, um, like The Agony and the Ecstasy. Um at one point, the guy yells, it's a madhouse. Uh, they call the ape Bright Eyes, which was Charlton Heston's nickname. The apes called Charlton Heston Bright Eyes. I mean, these are not... At least the damn Dirty Apes line is famous. That's memorable. People who know about the movie remember damn Dirty Apes. Get your stinking paws off me, you damn Dirty Apes. So the rest of these are just... Um, really, really random and, and pointless. So I want to I want to say this. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is a prequel. What happened in the original Planet of the Apes movie is Charlton Heston and four other, or three other astronauts were on a deep space mission near the speed of light so they would never be able to return to their home. It turned out to be like 3800 AD, Anno Domini, when they arrived at what they, at this alien planet. They crash land on this alien planet and find out that it's a culture of apes, gorillas, orangutans, and chimpanzees who are intelligent, who are tool users, who build houses, who wear clothing, and who rule over mute, completely mute, uh, unintelligent, barbaric humans. So it's an inversion of 
what you would normally expect. And then various things happen through the movie. And it's it, it has been 1969, okay? Was almost 50 years ago. So technically what I'm about to say is a spoiler for a 50-year-old movie. If you haven't seen the movie yet, that's your problem. The statute of limitations on spoilers on movies runs out very quickly lately, and 50 years is well past it. It turns out that this planet is Earth, and for some reason, somehow, um, the humans got struck dumb and the apes are intelligent and now run this post-apocalyptic Earth where there was a nuclear war. So that's the plot of the, or the setting, the concept, the conceit of the original Planet of the Apes movie. And I liked the movie when I was little, and it's still good now. It's not great, but it's a good movie. It's fun. It is very much a product of its time. It is very much a late 1960s counterculture movie written, of course, by a Frenchman. And the original book was intended not so much to be taken seriously, but was intended to satirize society, yada, 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 yada. Uh, pretty much your same trite, smug, preachy, you know, anti-Western garbage that a lot of people uh, were producing in the 60s, but that didn't really cross over into the movie. The movie tried to play it straight. But even so, they tossed in a bunch of nods to the youth culture of the time, either because Hollywood wanted to feel hip or because um, they're trying to cynically broaden their audience. One of the main characters is a, uh, or one of the side characters, one of the side chimpanzees they meet, is a bitter, disappointed, rebellious college youth that is just a cliche from the from that time period. Um, and Charlton Heston talks about how that their world uh, had been a world where they had gotten free from all this blah 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 blah. Basically, you know, telling the uh, counterculture, "Oh, you were right, and uh, you succeeded in creating a world where this and that happened." And they're just a couple of mentions in the movie. They don't ruin the movie, but they're there. They're obnoxious. And you're just kind of rolling your eyes at how dated it all comes off of. So, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Now we're fast forwarding to 2000. I want to say 2009. It might be 2011. Um, but uh, the movie is not a... Oh, it is. 2011. Okay. Uh, the movie is not a remake of Planet of the Apes. It is instead a prequel set in more or less the present day, which is intended to explain the backstory of the Planet of the Apes. And you can see that in ways that are more clear in the last movie, which we'll get to when we talk about war, but also astronauts take off from Earth, this is mentioned in the very first movie, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and their spaceship is lost. They're lost track of. So what the screenwriters were doing at that point is they're setting it up that if they ever produced an actual proper Planet of the Apes remake, 
that they could say, oh, you see, back in the first movie in 2011, we had a spaceship with crew members on it who went and got lost, and this is what happens to them. They come and they land on the Planet of the Apes. It's a Mars mission, by the way, the mission that gets lost. They're launched in a rocket from Mars. Um, the movie's about James Franco. His character, I don't mean him as an actor, the movie is centered around James Franco's character, whose father has Alzheimer's, and he creates a medicine that is intended to cure Alzheimer's, but what it does instead is it gives apes uh, hyper-intelligence compared to apes, not compared to humans, and it does cure Alzheimer's for a while in human beings, but uh, it wears off after several years, and the person is left as bad as they were before or worse, which, of course, to these people, to this greedy drug company, desperate to make money, being able to completely cure Alzheimer's of someone for four or five years is useless. Absolutely, totally useless. They sneer at the very notion of giving people an extra five years of good, productive, prime of their life thinking and say, no, it has to be a complete cure or nothing. Now, I found that plot point, if you couldn't tell by the sarcasm dripping off my voice. Could you tell? Was that was that enough sarcasm? That was nice. the strike. My, my sarcasm meter made a low beep. Okay, so they uh, that was a silly plot point in a large number of silly plot points that came up. I liked the movie. Rise of the Planet Apes is a well-done movie. The actors do a great job. It just had a couple of small silly things because uh, they're trying to shoehorn in a plot about how evil this pharmaceutical company is. And it doesn't quite work. Um, so this one of the apes that they get to test this serum on has a child, and the child turns out to be a really intelligent monkey. And the people who wrote the movie didn't even have the common courtesy to look up the phrase in utero, which means... The mother ape was getting drugs while she was pregnant, and the baby was affected by the drugs. Simple explanation. They didn't even bother to look that up and, and put the phrase in the movie. Instead, they come up with a convoluted and wrong explanation for how the monkey was affected by this retrovirus. And it's silly. It, it just... Like so many of the things that showed up in the movie, a few minutes of research would have given them something that was... Uh, far, far better, would have given them something that was more textured and would have made a good movie even better. So this ape who's super smart learns sign language um, and eventually he gets thrown in, he runs out into the street where a neighbor is, uh, the father who has Alzheimer's gets in the neighbor's car and tries to drive it away and wrecks it twice. The neighbor grabs him, pulls him out, and as he's about to, you know, he throws the old man to the ground. He's really, really angry at his sports car having been wrecked. And so the monkey jumps out and savages the neighbor, just attacks him brutally. And the monkey is taken away from James Franco, who is keeping him illegally in a residential area and is thrown in a monkey house, which has... Um, conditions that the monkey considers to be 
excuse me, the eight. The eight considers to be bad, and so the eight becomes bitter and angry and turns against humanity. Because of a few weeks of, literally a few weeks, of incarceration in a not luxurious but pretty comfortable monkey house, ape house. The food he gets is suitable for animals, but not suitable for him because he's intelligent. Well, tough luck, jerk. You attack the neighbor. You got thrown in jail. It's your fault if the jail food isn't as good as you would get at a restaurant outside of jail. Um, the guy is a jerk. They hired Draco Malfoy to play the main employee, the main ape keeper at this ape house. And so, and they make him dirty. They make him nasty. They make him arrogant and rude. And so they're trying to make you feel like he's being bad and abusive to the monkeys, to the apes, but there's nothing actually on screen which shows it. Nothing happens. It's just bad. It's uncomfortable. It's unpleasant. He's being treated like an animal, which is fine for animals, but because he's an intelligent ape, he, he gets resentful. So when he has a chance to get rescued and taken home, he turns his back on his master and says, no, I don't want to go home with you. I want to stay here with my ape homies. He doesn't literally say that. That's his attitude. Caesar, who's the ape at question, who becomes the central the main character in the second and third movies. And through the last half of the first movie, he becomes the main character. He's our viewpoint character. He's the character we are intended to empathize with. He's the character whose journey we're following. He's the Harry Potter of these three movies, okay? He deliberately turns his back on his loving owner who's had him for a decade because he's upset that he got thrown in jail for his own stupid actions and he's throwing a fit about it. He's throwing a tantrum. And because of that, he turns against humanity. He grabs a couple of cylinders of this retrovirus, rolls it into the ape house, uplifts all of the other monkeys. So they're now all intelligent. And then they throw a revolt. That's the plot of 2011. So here's the thing. If that movie wasn't told from the ape's perspective, it would be a horror movie. That's the thing you've got to think about 2011's Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It's a horror movie told from the perspective of the monster. Uh, thank you for pointing that out because when I haven't seen any of the movies, I watched War of the Planet of the Apes, uh, fresh. And let me tell you, I was not expecting the apes to be the protagonists. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like this... Uh, I, I'll go into more detail uh, later when we get to it, but I was like, that That was unexpected. This is this is a flip-flop. This, this is a total horror movie. Um, James Franco is a mad scientist. I, I'm going to say this. Let's say that you were making this as a classical horror movie. James Franco is a mad scientist. He's in this secretive house with his father who has Alzheimer's, who's really, really sick, who all of a sudden mysteriously gets better. And at the same time, this ape appears and begins breaking things around the neighborhood and attacks the neighbor's daughter and then attacks the neighbor and then attacks the neighbor again and finally gets put in this ape house. And then while he's in this ape house, he assembles all of the apes, every single one of them, and starts teaching them sign language. 
And when the guy wanders out, he sees in ranks, in ordered perfect ranks like a class, ape after ape after ape staring at him. Just staring at him when he walks into the room. And then all of a sudden, they all turn at the exact same time and wander away. And then he comes back later, and there's this mysterious fog filling the entire place. And the apes have learned how to operate doors. They've learned how to uh, open windows. They've learned how to bypass security. And they all break out and go running into this cloud of mist where they begin grabbing random policemen and throwing them off the Golden Gate Bridge and crashing helicopters and throwing spears into cars and wreaking all this havoc. From the point of view of the humans, this is a horror movie. They just show it from the other direction. So it seems like, you know, they're oppressed, uh, downtrodden, poor things who are striking a blow for their rights and their freedom. Um, let's see. Sorry, I'm flipping through pages now. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was sort of an interesting take on it, considering the original movie was... I mean, 69's a little late, but it's still in the shadow of the Cold War, and, and it, it wasn't... Imp it wasn't implied that it was maybe a virus or something like that. Like it would be warfare. Like yeah, it was a nuclear it, war. Yeah, well, like we did it to ourselves. That sort of thing. Uh, All but right. just oh. like, I don't know, just meds. I don't know. Before a recap of Planet of the Apes, the original, if you haven't seen it, I recommend the musical version The Simpsons did. Stop <laughs> the Planet of the Apes. I want to get off. Uh, which is a funny episode. And, and, and really... I, honestly, I would recommend seeing Planet of the Apes, then watching that episode, because that episode is so much funnier when you've seen the Planet of the Apes movie. Um, okay, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Begins with... Now, the last two movies I saw in 3D, because that's what they were showing them in. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes had an absolutely abysmal, terrible, terrible, terrible 3D uh, conversion done to it. It looked like a Viewmaster. Have you ever used one of those Viewmasters? They're the little binocular things where you put a disc, a paper disc, with photos in it. Or, if you can think about it, like Sonic the Hedgehog in one of those early pseudo-3D games where you had three planes of flat, completely flat background that moved at different speeds, which gave the illusion of depth, even though there was no depth there. That's how bad the conversion was. War, on the other hand, had just incredible, uh, had an incredible 3D conversion. Everything looked rounded. It looked actually three-dimensional, not just three different flat planes interacting with each other. Um, in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, so this is the sequel movie, this virus... This retrovirus that gave the apes intelligence has spread out of control and killed everyone on the planet who is human except for one out of every 500 people. So that's a, that's a whole lot of dead bodies. Um, assuming we have seven billion people on the planet right now 
after the virus sweeps through, everyone in the entire world is dead. Everyone. All of China, all of India, all of Europe, all of Africa, all of South America, all of the Pacific Islands, the Caribbean Islands, and all of North America, except for the population of Los Angeles County. You have 14 million people living in Los Angeles County today, or excuse me, the LA Long Beach urban area, which includes a few more counties besides LA. But every single other person on the entire rest of the planet would be dead. Now, I'm not saying there's that geographic concentration. I'm just giving you an idea of the scale of the mass death that occurred because of James Franco's character. He decides to make a more aggressive virus and the more aggressive virus kills the planet. You also find additional things out about that virus in war, which is the third movie, which I won't talk about until we get to war. Everybody on the planet is dead. They're living in post-apocalyptic conditions, which you're familiar with if you've seen any post-apocalyptic movie. And Caesar and his intelligent apes now have language, they now have culture, they now have laws, and they are living up in the hills above San Francisco, which apparently have the same climate as Seattle. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if that's right, right or wrong, but it's always foggy and it's always rainy. It was kind of odd to me. I did not get the impression that that was San Francisco's climate. I could be wrong. It was the retrovirus that affected the weather. <laughs> yeah. And human beings who are trying to save themselves go up into the hills to try and repair a hydroelectric dam to get power back down to their dwelling places, their little city they've made. And they come into contact with Caesar's, elf, uh, Caesar's excuse me, apes, and there's a culture clash, and they start killing each other. Um, I really wish there was more I could say about this movie, um, but uh, there isn't. Other than the fact that one of the humans is presented as being a not-so-bad guy because he wants to kill all the apes. Well, the fact is, folks, when you've got two intelligent species who are mutually hostile, who are competing for the same planet, the only way for the human race to survive is to actually kill all the apes. That's not brutal or barbaric. That's just saying... And the way they address that in the third movie is kind of a cheat, but that's it. That's the second movie. There's not a whole lot more to say about it. it again, it's a decent movie. Uh, I really enjoyed it. They turn in great performances. The plot is interesting. It's just the fact that the apes are the protagonists and the good guys. It's not even that they present apes and humans on an equal level. Although the apes have bad people in their ranks who are responsible for starting the war, Caesar is not. Um, and the humans have bad guys and good guys in their ranks. Nevertheless, the movie's sympathies lie entirely with the monkeys and not with people. Uh, and again, neither of you have seen this movie, right? No. Okay. Right. Um, 
And I feel like I'm being harsher on the movie than it deserves because a lot of the other things I'm not mentioning are really excellent. It has brilliant cinematography. It has great special effects. Andy Serkis, who played Gollum in the uh, Lord of the Rings movies, plays Caesar in these three films. And he turns in a brilliant, amazing performance. Andy Serkis does an incredible job. And he really makes you feel the... Uh, humanity, if you will, of the ape, which is quite difficult considering that he is acting through CGI, that all of his eye expressions and all of his facial expressions and all of his body uh, language is being filtered through an animated character with different facial features than a human being. You know, apes have that little muzzle, they don't have, uh, chimpanzees have that little muzzle, they don't have human features, and so on and so forth. And so the fact that he can act through all that and give you a performance where you feel the emotions that this ape is having, and you understand them and empathize with them, is, I think, pretty amazing. So I don't want you to think that these are bad movies. The 2001 movie was bad. It's just that thematically and plot-wise, um taking a stand against humanity and for apes. I find that distasteful and there's some plot holes. And so I don't necessarily like the moral universe of the stories, but they are incredibly well done movies. I was going to say much the same about the third movie. Uh, I, I'm not surprised to hear that applied to the first two is that it's yet another example of uh, well-executed, poorly written garbage. Um, Not to spoil the ending. <laughs> right. So I, I got the same thing from the third movie. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. So okay, let's jump to the third movie because there's not much more to say about the second one. It's a good sequel to Rise of the Planet of the Apes. It's a well done movie, and the script on a line for line basis, and even on a story basis, isn't bad. It's not a bad script. It makes sense. The progression of things that happen makes sense not only in context of the movie, but in context of what happened in the previous movie. So it's actually well written from a certain point of view as far as script writing goes, as far as screenwriting goes. It is deeper thematic issues that I have primarily the problem with and a few... Um, I don't want to say realism, but a few verisimilitude issues that kind of took me out of the movie. So, War for the Planet of the Apes. I'm going to rest my voice uh, and let John introduce War, and then I'll chime in and, and, and do my bit. So, War for the Planet of the Apes is about, once again, Caesar and his apes. And they find themselves in conflict with some of the remnants of the human population who understandably put together an army and... Uh, are, are trying to survive and or wipe out the apes. Something like that. Uh, what can I say without continuing to spoil the movie? Um, at the beginning of the movie uh, opens up with uh, Caesar and the apes uh, trying to survive and, and, you know, avoid confrontation with the humans. Because remember, Caesar's the good guy. And, uh, and he doesn't want to kill humans unless he has to. Uh, so obviously in a movie called war that, uh, you know, that, that sort of peaceful detente isn't going to last. Um, and you know, Caesar's days of happiness are over. 
but uh, that's all I'm going to say plot-wise. Um, well, let me give the, let me give you my impression of the introduction of the movie, and I was absolutely 100% perfectly correct. I didn't even write this down in my notes because I wanted to be wrong. I wanted to think this was wrong. The very first scene of the movie, they tell you that there has been a war running between the humans and the apes for the last couple of years, that the humans have been hunting the apes down and killing apes, apes have been hunting and killing humans, and that uh, the apes are striking from some hidden base up in the mountains that no, none of the humans can find. So the very first thing you see is a patrol of grunts wandering through thick, leafy, overgrown terrain. And you see successively two different grunts who have on the backs of their helmets written mottos. The first motto is monkey killer. Um, and the second motto is bedtime for Bonzo, uh, which is a reference to a comedy that Ronald Reagan was in back when he was an actor in the 50s. But thematically speaking, in context of a war with the apes, it refers to putting apes to bed or killing them. So it may be just because I am so uh, immersed in movies that are about the Vietnam War. No. But the very first thing you think of when you see those helmets is... Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. And I, I just thought, oh, no, no, this is going to be another Vietnam War allegory. And then I flashed back to the trailer. The leader of all the humans is a colonel, played by Woody Harrelson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the leader of all the humans is a colonel who is bald. Uh-huh. The uh -huh. leader... <laughs> Do you see where I'm going with this? Those of you who have seen Apocalypse Now... Uh-huh. This is the second monkey-related remake of Apocalypse Now that's been released in the last year. Because the other one? Kong Skull Island. Oh, yeah. Plus also a remake of Apocalypse Now, which which puts that as, a, I think that's a unique, um, a, a unique achievement that is not often going to be uh, equaled or exceeded. Two eight related apocalypse now remakes in the same uh you know year period so that's what i was afraid of when the movie started and indeed i was right uh as the movie develops it turns into an apocalypse now remake they even have 1970s music and they have the scene where the bald colonel shaves his head. And he is a brilliant and effective war fighter who is under a whole lot of pressure because of the war he's in and has to do horrific things in order to win the war. And his superiors don't understand the constraints he's put under. And so he's rebelled against his superiors. And they are acting against him it's dispiriting to see another vietnam war remake i'm sorry there were a couple of spoilers in that description 
Yeah, uh, only only young folk who'd never seen Apocalypse Now or, or anything wouldn't could possibly miss this. Hey, the chat's talking about how, gee, the millennial audience must really love those references to Vietnam and Bedtime for Bonzo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there, there, there's even an explicit Apocalypse Now reference in the film. Yes. There's some gra graffiti on a on a wall in a in a an escape tunnel that that literally ref uh, you know, references Apocalypse Now. So it's, it's just and 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 none of the yeah, none of the millennials have, have seen it, right? Yeah, we've gone from the original Planet of the Apes, which had a '60s counterculture reference, to War of the Planet of the Apes, which has '60s counterculture references. The graffiti, by the way, is ape-apocalypse now, which is actually a little bit clever because it is literally the ape apocalypse. So it's ape-apocalypse now. Um, I want to complain a bit about the first scene of the movie. The apes shoot a bunch of arrows at these modern American soldiers who apparently have never... In two years of guerrilla warfare against gorillas, against literal gorillas, chimpanzees oh, no. and orangutans, have never learned how to handle arrows and so get torn through. They're using shields, or they're not using shields, excuse me. Why don't they pick up riot shields? Riot shields, which are A, completely transparent, and B, you can throw up to, you know, ward off arrows. That's what shields are for. That's what soldiers used to do. Uh, and, and, and yeah, and, and the other thing that kills me too is is that <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking I'm I've never been in the military. I'm not an attack not a tactician, but I'm pretty sure this you know human patrol uh, is in a little valley where the all the apes have the higher ground, and and I have a feeling that that maybe someone leading the patrol who was more tactically sound could be like, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's not engage anybody from here. Yeah. Let's, let's put out flankers and, and keep scouts on our flanks. Let's, uh, you know, use the equipment that's readily available in these cities to defend ourselves with. I mean, there are, look folks, in order to become an army in the military, you have to take military history. You have to. Um, and there are people who have studied how shock infantry works going as far back as the earliest records we have, which, by the way, is the Egyptians. They're the earliest records, written records of, of battles. They would know what to do against primitive weapons. Soldiers, individual soldiers may not be all that intelligent, but by and large, soldiers are intelligent and they're well-trained in what they do. If your average role player could think to use clear shields, a shoulder, a soldier would definitely have thought of that. So um, the Ewok paradox. Yeah. It just, uh, I don't know. There's not a whole lot more I can say about the movie without getting into major, major, major spoilers. Yeah, I mean, and, and we're nitpicking over stupid, nerdy military stuff. Uh, I mean... The whole thing, obviously, it was a ripoff of Apocalypse. I mean, just a remake of Apocalypse Now. And uh, the for me personally, the the fact that the apes were the protagonists really turned me off of the whole movie. Um, they even try to you know generate a ton of sympathy for Caesar and his plight. You know, he's terrible. Like he's he, 
you know, all the things didn't happen because he's a great leader. He's a terrible leader, uh, but, you know, he's the leader of the apes and the protagonist. Um, and, and you do, like, you're sitting there sympathizing with the humans, and when, uh, you know, Colonel Gonzo's going crazy, you're like, hey, yeah, of, of course he's, he's doing terrible things because this is literal, you know, life or death. And he even explains it, you know, in a, in a little... Um, monologue about you know ex- you know explaining himself. You're like, yeah, everything's totally understandable. Evil, sure. It just it just made for a thoroughly unenjoyable movie. The the narrative did. I did want to say yeah. something good about it. <laughs> no, go, go ahead, go ahead, Brian. Respond to that. Well, I'm just synthesizing what you said there with what Eddie Warpig said a little while ago about how, yeah, if there's another intelligent species on the same planet, you'd better kill them because uh, this town is big enough for the two of us. And that's that's what's always bugged me about the X-Men franchise, frankly. It's why I've never enjoyed it as much as, say, the Avengers movies be, because, yeah, it's it's the same dodge, you know, it's it, it's the same, oh, when did you stop beating your wife question? Because the the folks who say, hey, if we've got a kid who can blow a wall, like blow a hole through every wall of a school by looking at it, maybe we'd better control these guys. And they're said to be the irrational bigots. Right? You know, the, the whole tagline is... Um, you know, we, we live in a world that hates and fears us. Yeah, and they should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, how, yeah, how, how is this, how is this uh, you know, fear of people who can control your mind not, not justified? Yeah, yeah. They could... Imagine the new heights of, of doxing and identity theft that Professor X or Jean Grey could, uh, could take the state of the art to. It boggles the mind. Yeah, when, I, I guess... I guess as you get older, you realize that Magneto was right all along. <laughs> Magneto did nothing wrong. <laughs> That's dark, man. Um, I, I did, I'd like to say something good about the movie, though. Um, similar to what DW was saying about the earlier movies, if you want to see a really well animated, like, you know, most of the cast was just computer animated apes. You know, if you want to see some really uh, quali- good quality animation, I mean, everything but the blue-vested comic relief character uh, was great. Uh, I-, I loved the animations. I-, I was literally astounded at the quality of uh, the computer graphics in the movie. I-, I mean, actually astounded because they did not look like computer representations of apes. They looked real. They looked like they were actually apes. And it may be because I was seeing it in 3D, and so uh, it's a lot dimmer because of the polarized lenses on your glasses than you would get in other places. And maybe if I see it later or after a few years, it'll start to look worse. But the fact is, the level of quality uh, they brought to animating these uh, talking humanoid apes was just, it was amazing. They did not look fake. You could not tell at least I couldn't tell, that this wasn't an actual ape who was talking. It was uh, just 
they have done a lot of work in the six years since the original movie, making these apes look as real as possible. Um, and I was just very, very, very uh, impressed with it. The, the special effects really impressed me. Um, yeah, I liked it. I, I think they did a good job, especially, I mean, Caesar, I didn't know it was the it was Gollum who did that. I mean, the, I guess that explains it because, yeah, Caesar sort of did his job. He's he's the protagonist. He's got all the emotional stakes. He he makes all the sad faces and and whatnot in the movie. That's animated particularly well. Uh, if if they were doing the same sort of motion capture that they did with Gollum, that pretty much explains it because Gollum was outstanding. I like in fact. The the only thing more enjoyable than Gollum's performance in the um, in the uh, Lord of the Rings movies was uh, Sam Gamgee's sappy performance. <laughs> Gollum did nothing wrong. He just wanted his precious. Um. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about these movies as a whole. It is a measure of how well the movies are done that the deep problems come in the themes, um, not even the storyline in the third movie, other than mistakes about the military, even the storyline in the third movie, there were some baubles. There were some things you were like scratching your head. There was a coincidence at one point where they said, oh yes, we were just out and we accidentally stumbled upon them and that's when we did this. And I'm like, oh, come on guys. I'm not saying coincidences don't happen in the real world because they do all the time, but you shouldn't lean on coincidence on a major, major, major plot point. It should have been, oh, yes, we followed them, and then we found them, and then this happened. No, we just accidentally stumbled upon them. That was kind of painful. Or, um, or a, a better story beat would have been would have put to put the blame on Caesar. You know, we, we, we discovered them because Caesar did this. Yeah. Right? Uh, that definitely would have played into what they were doing in the rest of the movie with Caesar. Uh, you're absolutely right about that. Um, so, yeah, there were flaws in the script, but by and large, on a line-by-line -line basis... Uh, the script was great. Uh, it is the deeper story themes, and specifically who they make the protagonist of these three movies that really sticks in your craw. The monkeys who are killing off humanity should not be the heroes. And by the end of the original, there were six movies in the original Planet of the Apes, and they started to veer off that, especially the last movie. So I don't know if it's just the material itself where the people writing this begin to empathize with the monkeys or if it's... Um, I, 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 I have a theory, actually. Go for it. Uh, as a mental experiment, put yourself in, in the shoes of an audience member who's watching that movie. And yeah, it would be a horror movie where you know the humans are, are the protagonists and they're trying to... But they're trying to stop the ape apocalypse, apocalypse from happening, and they can't. It's sort of like the. Uh, I guess in order to do it well, it would have to be a Terminator movie, right? Where you know the robot apocalypse is happening, but you're watching these people struggle valiantly against it. But yeah. not in the not in the Planet of the Apes movie. You know how it ends. You know it ends with the humans enslaved. So. That would be a thorough. That would also be a thoroughly unenjoyable movie. You would just leave the movie feeling despair, leave the theater feeling despair, and and uh, maybe maybe that's not a good direction to take the movie. Maybe the uh, 
maybe the apes being the protagonist is the lesser evil. Hmm, we're thinking about. Yeah, we can't think on the air, by the way. <laughs> we don't have time, but yeah, that's worth thinking about. Um, that's why we have notes. All right. I, I, I think the... The movies are very skillfully made. The people who directed them know how to build emotional impact into the scenes. The actors turned in great performances. The CGI in the third movie was amazing. Just absolutely fantastic. Um, so, and I even enjoyed it on one sense. As long as you ignore the internal disconnect where you want to root for the humans, but the humans are the bad, evil guys. Um, as long as yeah. you can set that aside, the movie is enjoyable. Uh, it's just that kind of bugged me through the whole movie. I had a, uh, I felt the disconnect emotionally. So, all right. So my my summary. I'd like to give a quick summary from a perspective of someone who didn't see the first two movies, which is. That they, they do give you an info dump right at the beginning that explains the first couple movies. So narratively, you're not going to miss anything. However, the things that bothered Daddy Warpig about the movie made it unwatchable for me. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody who wasn't already a fan of the Apes series. And specifically of the modern Apes movies. Yeah, uh, of course. If you, if you haven't seen and enjoyed the previous two, you probably won't enjoy this movie. Um, so I, uh, yeah, so I actually, I think taking, uh, taking John's opinion, taking my opinion, that's a good, you know, those are two contrasting experiences coming to this movie with, um, I think that's a good gauge for you to, you know, kind of judge, am I going to enjoy this movie or not? Uh, so yeah. Do we have any uh, any comments or questions from the chat before we take off? Uh, they're just butthurt about Doctor Who. Nobody cares. It's a terrible show. <laughs> I I don't know that I've seen an entire episode of Doctor Who, uh, so I'm not a Doctor Who fan. I'm not trying to insult you, Doctor Who fans. I've just never seen it. There's a lot of things I haven't seen because I don't have time. So, um, any, any last thoughts uh, about anything in the world before we... Uh, Oh, yeah, you have an announcement to make, John. I do? Yes, I do. Uh, coming, up on our, <laughs> coming up on our next game night podcast, which should be sometime in the next seven days, uh, we're going to have uh, special guest Mark Kern, lead designer on World of Warcraft and Diablo 2. Actually, we're going to talk about tabletop role-playing games with, uh, with Grums himself. Because he has uh, made and released his own tabletop game and is now releasing a video game, uh, is now producing a video game based on it. That guy's productive. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, he's, he's so productive. He hasn't uh, got back to me about uh, setting up the podcast. So. He, sa he, said, it, he said it was going to be this Thursday, that that was fine. Yeah. Yeah. So we're hoping it will be this Thursday to, uh, for Mark Current. Head, uh, head designer, lead designer of World of Warcraft and Diablo 2 to come on um, game night. So. <laughs> uh, 
See, the problem is John Mawson's making fun of the fact that I knew you, you had an announcement and you had forgotten about your announcement. See, that that's just that's not a measure of whether or not uh, we're coordinated. It's a measure of how on top of the situation I am. That I am keeping track of all the things going on on the uh, Geek Gab podcasting network, and I and I uh, have a good feel for the kind of things that are going down. Uh, do do you have an announcement about your show this week, uh, Brian? First of all, that was a great save. I think they totally bought it. <laughs> oh, wait, they can hear me too. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's that's going to be hard to follow. So screw it. I'm just going to dive in. Yeah, I'm having voice actor Jim Fear 138 on Geek Gab on the Books this Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. And we're going to talk about uh, audiobooks. So should should be a good time. I'm also speaking to books. My new novella, Him of the Pearl, doing, doing really well. I'm now reliably informed that my magic system in Him of the Pearl is more interesting than the interesting magic systems that Brandon Sanderson is known for. So take that, Sanderson. Um, uh, let's see. I Scheduled right now for release this next week, um, are two different movies that I was very interested, or, or one movie I was very interested in seeing, and one movie I was kind of agreed to see because I needed to for the show. So first one is Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, um, which is by the same director who made Taken and the same director who made The Fifth Element and a whole bunch of other movies. That should be coming out this week, uh, and I hope to be able to watch that and review that next Saturday. Also, Dunkirk, which is Christopher Nolan's new uh, movie, comes out this week, and I'm hoping to be able to watch that. Uh, and so we'll have two movies for the show next week. The week after that, we should have a guest. Um, the week after that should be The Dark Tower, and after that, we'll be going back to our usual random assortment. It's just been a really movie-heavy summer. Ever since late May, when uh, the second Guardians of the Galaxy dropped, we've had major movies every week except one so far. So we've been doing movies constantly, but this is not going to be... Uh, Geek Gap Prime is not going to be always movie reviews. It's just that this happens to be that summer, folks. It, it was the movie review summer. Also... Um, we can expect that when Defenders comes out uh, in the fall and when Stranger Things 2 comes out in the fall that I'll be watching and, and reviewing those. But that's off for the future uh, in, a, in a month or two. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, Valerian. Looking forward to that. It may actually be a really good flick. I'm hoping it's a really good flick. And of course, it's a Christopher Nolan movie in Dunkirk. And so he has he made a bad movie? I, I don't think they've uh, ever gone worse than eh. Uh, Memento was a really strange movie, but it still was, when I watched it, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I found it really compelling. I haven't seen it since then. And I haven't seen his first movie, although it's in my Netflix queue. Oh, Following? Following, yeah. Yeah, I liked it. So I'm, I'm going to go with no, he's not made a bad movie. Okay. Uh... I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to talk about. Just a couple things, folks. Thanks for tuning in. This is Geek Gab on the this is Geek Gab uh, Network, uh, the Geek Gab show where we have Geek Gab on the books, Geek Gab game night, and uh, we have 
you can get all three of those shows at youtube.com slash geekgab, or you can check us out on both iTunes and the Google Play Store, or you can check us out on soundcloud.com. Any one of those three places, you can subscribe to the Geek Gab Podcast. And, of course, if you double secret subscribe here on YouTube, click on subscribe and then click on the little bell icon, you can get live announcements about when we're going, when the show is scheduled, and things like that. We, um, we're leaving, folks. We're turning it off. We're, we're shutting off the show. We are out of here for today. But don't worry. Don't you fret. We... We'll be back.